Muppet show that was offensive. But then looking back, when I look at certain cartoons, yeah. I'm like, oh, damn. <laughs> There's no way that would fly now. When they said that there was some, like, stereotyping or, like, some, um, it, like, that wasn't PC, I, I had a hard time figuring out what it was until I read an article and they were saying how they had one with an Indian accent. There was one episode that had like a Chinese um, Muppet that, that was very stereotypical. And there was also like Muppets with the Arab like hijab and like, mm-hmm. you know, um, headwear. And I guess like that was, that could be viewed as offensive nowadays. But I think before when we're growing up, we were not, taught to be as sensitive to these like stereotypes and so it was kind of funny and you being indian american and that me being chinese american i don't know i i i it made me cringe a little bit but not as much as it would if i saw it now i agree i do remember though growing up and being like watching okay the simpsons and apu was like (laughs) all indian people and i just was kind of like i mean my family like my dad doesn't own a liquor store no one in my family does. My dad doesn't have an accent. No one in my immediate family does. And it was like, people just thought like, oh, you're Indian, a poo. And it's like, nah, it'd be nice if like Bart had an Indian friend that was like, you know, if Millhouse were Indian, like yeah, Western. And I remember being a kid and being like, oh, why, why do we always have to have this accent? But no, I mean, you just kind of accept it. But then now when you see a lot of the stuff, you're like, not even being sensitive. It's just talking. These conversations aren't just at home anymore. Now they're out and like in the open where like, you know, Hollywood's talking about it. You know, you have social media, that quiet conversation where like, you know, the Hollywood bigwigs, they're not, they're so far apart. Now it's like you can reach out to them through a tweet and, you know, cancel them at some points. I think it's interesting that Disney Plus they're still going to make money off of it. But yeah, that really, is really interesting. And um, my boyfriend was talking about The Office and how Pam was always like technically sexually harassed at work. And that would be such a no-go like nowadays. So he was just saying how this warning should just go on anything that was, that was produced before a certain time, maybe like before five, ten years ago. You do make a good point that like Disney's all, hey, Sorry, this is offensive. We're going to still keep it up, though, because we own it. We're going to put this little thing up. <laughs> yeah. Like, is that enough? Is that okay still? Like, you know, just, I, like, that's it, a it's good just point. like, it's just like someone saying, like, okay, not to be racist or anything, but then say something really racist. Another big story here in California, lawmakers have approved $1.4 million in state funding to combat anti-Asian violence and racism through the Stop AAPI Hate Reporting Center. So AAPI obviously being Asian American and Pacific Islander. There's been a slew of crimes on Asian people, and it's definitely sparked a conversation where a lot of organizations talking about them, they, they stand against the hate on Asian Americans. Friends of mine who are Asian in California that aren't in news are like, well, this has been going on for years. Not this violent, though. Is it not been violent? Okay, because do you think now being uh, Asian American that with the coronavirus, could this, because some people are like, oh, since the coronavirus, there's been an uptick. Combine that with what's already kind of been an issue that it's magnified. I feel like there's always like a low-key racism against Asian Americans, but it's never been blatant. 
right when I moved to New York, I, I saw a bunch of stuff happening in Oakland. I saw a bunch of stuff that was happening on the West Coast. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, thank goodness I'm not there anymore <laughs> kind of thing. But then uh, I think it's the frequency of the attacks and the violence that is with that associates with it. Uh, especially in New York, because there was like just a girl recently who was just walking, she's Korean American, and she was walking down the street and at 6.30 after work, and someone pulled over, didn't say anything to her, and just pepper sprayed her in the face, and there was like surveillance video of her like crying as she was like heading home. It's not considered a hate crime, because in New York, in order for it to be a hate crime, there has to be some kind of like words exchanged before the attack where they say something about your race and so there was nothing no words exchanged the guy just like stopped like you know pepper sprayed her and then left and and then there's been um you know asian americans being pushed on the train tracks asian americans being slashed with a knife you know um and and we've had five in a in the span of two weeks well, and wasn't there that video that went viral? I mean, they all kind of have gotten viral in their own way, but there was one, there's been a, a ton in Oakland, right? And then in, mm-hmm. in San Francisco, I feel like there was one in New York. Yeah, it was with, with the it was like a, older woman, right? That she got pushed out of nowhere and into like some like newspaper stands or something. Yeah, and it became a huge deal because Olivia, it's Olivia Munn's friend's mo- mother. Oh, that's why she's heavily involved. I didn't, I mean, yes. I knew that she, I know she's part Asia, but I didn't know that she had a tie. So she tweeted it and, and tweeted the suspect's picture and was saying, this is my friend's mother uh, in Flushing. And she got pushed in a newspaper stand. That ended up not being a hate crime because I guess they had an argument beforehand about something else. So there was like words exchanged about something else that was not race related and and then he pushed her so they you know it's still an assault the the worst part is like out of the four or five recent in uh attacks on asians only one of them is considered a hate crime in new york in new york because it, it was like a 30 i think it was like a 30 something year old man who someone kind of pushed him which is like go back to china and then attacked him and that and so that is considered a hate crime. To be honest, so I drive to work, which is a luxury in New York, and I and I, I park right outside my entrance, and I still get scared walking to my car, and I get scared when I'm back in Brooklyn and parking and going to my front door. Anyone who looks at me a little too long, I have my hand on my pepper spray because I and I tell my boyfriend, I'm like, I am so scared that out of nowhere some crazy person is going to slash me. And, wow. and I get really, really scared. Like I even told him, I was like, I wanted to go run in Prospect Park and I didn't, I didn't want to go by myself. It, it's scary. And I just like, haven't felt that level of racism, especially in, in San Francisco where it's like 30% Asian, yeah. where I, I don't need to feel my race. Right. You know, I'm just like one of the majority. Right. Um, so this is, this is alarming. Since we do work in TV news. There is a lot of misconceptions about being in TV news, which we did want to talk about today, right? Yeah. So this is our first episode of EMW. It's just pulling back the curtains of TV news because, um, well, I, I've been watching and I just finished it, Firefly Lane on Netflix, which is about TV news in the 80s. There's also like, you know, like recently Bombshell, Nightcrawler, all these movies, and obviously the classic Anchorman. That people, like when they find out that I work in TV news, 
that they're just like, oh my gosh, is it like Anchorman? And when I tell them that a lot of the scripts that the anchors read, I have written it, they're like, oh my gosh, is it like Anchorman where you just put in random script and they'll read it? I'm like, unfortunately, some anchors do read whatever you put in the prompter. So you have to be very careful about that. I'm a producer. I'm a social media manager, but I used to be an assignment editor. So many people don't know what an assignment editor was, is. Assignment editor is, so you see the news. So Celia puts the newscast on the air, but the news that you're producing, the assignment editor finds. So the assignment editor is the, I guess you could say it's like the heart of the newsroom. We're the ones that find the news first. We're listening to police scanners. I mean, back in the day, it was just police scanners. Um, then that evolved to like, you know, social media, but uh, listening to police scanners. Oh, there's a shooting here and here and here. Okay, send a reporter there. Like they're the ones that hear the news first. It's interesting that everyone kind of blows over the assignment editors. Justice mm-hmm. for assignment editors. But anyway, I'm now a social media producer. So that's been a treat as well. People don't know about the Simon desk and they don't know about the producer role. Because every time I tell people I work in TV and they're like, what do you do for TV? Can I see you on TV? And I'd be like, no. And then they immediately, I see in their eyes that they went from like bright and excited to kind of like, ugh. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, then, and then I have to like be like, I have to like catch up really quickly and be like, no, everything the anchors say, I, I've, I wrote it. Um, everything, most of the assignments for reporters, I helped assign it. And then, and then the sparkle comes back on, or excitement comes back in their eyes and they're like, oh, that's pretty cool. Like, and I told them, I was like, I'm camera shy. So I like to manage people. And here's the thing about reporters. Anytime it's raining in San Francisco or California, they have to stand in the rain and be like, it's raining. And in New York, if it's snowing and a snowstorm, I get to be warm and comfortable in the newsroom while the reporters have to stand in the snow and be like, it's snowing and it's like, everyone stay off the road, but here I am on the road to show you not to be on the road. <laughs> yeah, or, you know, California wildfires beat on the assignment desk with the big ones in wine country. It was my job to tell the reporters, okay, I'd have to look at the map and be like, okay, this is what's burning. So I have to find exactly on the map and then direct the reporter and photographer exactly where the fire is because the producer would want to see these flames. So I have to direct them there and they're in harm's way. Um, have fun. We're just going to be here. Yeah. And someone brought pizza. So have fun. <laughs> That's the thing that the report. So right now in New York, um, at the place I work at, they feed us, they feed us dinner. Nice. And, and so, and the reporters don't get food. If anything, they sometimes don't even have time for food. No. And at six o'clock sharp, there's food that gets delivered to our newsroom. And I get fed all the time. And there, and I actually said it to my reporter friend. And he's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, everyone thinks that, yeah, you're getting fed. But are you only getting fed because we're in a pandemic? When we used to work together, we weren't only, we were only fed mm-hmm. from like an, uh, if we had a potluck or if it was a holiday sometimes, but like everyone <laughs> seems to think like TV news, oh great, oh glamorous, but I mean, it's definitely it's not. not. Here's the misconception. And I think a lot of parts of TV news that people don't know about 
is that you have to pay your dues. Like I had to go to small markets. You were lucky enough to be able to stay in where, you, where you're from and stay in the same newsroom and kind of move your way up. Yeah, my career is definitely, I've been very fortunate to stay in the one area, but you know, it. I feel like it does take longer. If I were to leave and come back, maybe things would have gone a little faster. Oh, definitely. And, and so a lot of people don't know about the markets. No. So markets are based off of population. And so New York is number one market, LA is number two, um, and then so on and so forth, like Chicago is number three. If, when you first start out out of college and you have no experience, you have to go to the bottom hundred. My first market was Santa Barbara and it's 120, which honestly was not bad. Like out of most people have to go to like bumfuck nowhere. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you like, had to be in like nice Santa Barbara. I mean, you could have been to like Yuma, Arizona, Midland, Odessa, oh yeah. Texas. And, and I think people who are on air have to go to those places. Like my sister was a reporter and she had to go to Redding, California. It is Trump country up there to say the least. And, and there isn't much. There's not much. And, and when I visited her, Everywhere we went, people turned around and stared at us. At bars, at brunch places, people would stare when we walked in. Like, you don't expect that in California, no. especially since there's so many Bay Area people who retire in Reading. So, and then, and then she went to New Orleans. I was fortunate enough to be able to stay in California because produce, not very many people want to be producers because it's stressful, but also when you think of TV news, everyone thinks about being on air. And... Um, I never wanted to do that. So anyways, you have to go to small uh, cities and pay your dues. The issue about that is lots of newsrooms are very, very toxic um, only because the management never get real training in how to manage. They're all, they were all producers who had to kind of pay their dues, work in really, really bad like circumstances and then became managers. And so then their mindset is like, I went through all this stuff. I'm bitter. So I'm going to make your life kind of miserable. And so for example, my sister, when she was in New Orleans, anytime she called out sick, she had to provide a doctor's note. Yeah. They, I've noticed friends of mine that have left TV news that work in corporate America, when we'll tell them something like that, they're like, that's not okay. And if you work in news, yeah. you're like, oh no, of course I'll provide a doctor's note. Cause I'm sick. Duh. And that's the way it is. But people that leave and go somewhere else are like just friends and family of mine that aren't, have never been in news. They're like, you don't have to do that. It is horrible. Okay. So TV news makes you feel bad because we're always understaffed. If you ever call it sick, if you call it sick, that means you just threw a wrench into the whole process. And that just meant you just ruined someone's day. So like either someone has to come in on their day off or a producer has to do two shifts or, you know, like it, it just basically is bad. It's horrible. And so unless you're dying, you don't call out. This is You'll for smaller markets though, right? For smaller markets, for smaller markets um, because they're super understaffed. So when I was in Santa Barbara, I produced 90 minutes of, of show. So I did like the hour 10 o'clock show and then I did the half hour 11 o'clock show and I had to write everything myself and then sometimes edit myself too. And but I, I don't I, think people understand just to give them some perspective, like as a producer is literally building the entire thing you see on TV, like where the story about Lady Gaga will go. Will it go above and be above or after the Muppets? And then literally writing it. So she is putting it all in order, 
and then writing where the anchors are, what the anchors are going to say, but then also being like, hey, should we have the video cover the anchor's face or have the video over the shoulder? Like every detail is what you're doing, right? Exactly. Yes. And in bigger markets, you have a whole team of editors, you have a whole team of writers. And so the producer can really, really focus on just like the production value and someone, and there are like four people who write for you. In smaller markets, you write yourself. And so I had to like, and also in Santa Barbara, we only had a day side, which is an uh, 8 a.m. to, I don't know, like 6.30 p.m. desk person, which is what Christine used to do. Um, and then at night, no one. So I was also <laughs> the Simon desk editor too. You were finding the news, putting, deciding where it goes, and then writing it. Exactly. And I was doing 90 minutes of it. And so that was like, and the first um, five months that I was there. So Christine and I met in 2013 when I, when I was like doing production assistant work and production assistant basically is like bitch work. Like it's like a glorified intern where back then we were printing scripts. And so I would run the scripts upstairs. And, and then running a teleprompter like that. Was running the job. teleprompter. Yeah. And then we did beat checks, you know, at 8 PM, we would call all the, the police department be like, anything we should know? <laughs> oh my God, those sucked so bad. I hated, I hated beat checks. I hated those. They, uh, you never you never got any information. I remember like, no. so working in news, you can work all kinds of crazy shifts. Beat checks reminded me of a story real quick. It's like I used to work 2.30 a.m. to 11 a.m. And part of that shift was beat checks. Call every local law enforcement agency and fire department. So fire, police, and all these surrounding areas. So you're literally calling these people randomly at like 3 a.m. Hey, I'm so-and-so from so-and-so. Anything going on today? For, I've had people laugh at me. I've had people hang mm-hmm. up on me. I've woken people up. I had one guy go, wow, your mom must be so proud that oh my this is the job you got where you're calling people. You work at this and this station and you're calling and your job is to call me to see if anything's going on. I bet your parents are really proud. And I was just like, okay, oh I was like 24. I didn't ask for that. Look, anything going on or not, like click. One of them would get mad at or like would troll me and be like, oh yeah, didn't you hear about the plane crash? And then they'd hang up on me and I'd be like, wait, what? And then I would be frantically and it's like they would mess with me all the time. So speaking of crazy hours in Sacramento, I was doing the morning show. So I would go in at 9.30 p.m., got off at 7 a.m. And that really, like, my parents thought I had jaundice because they said that I looked so sickly and like off colored. <laughs> but we have to work all sorts of hours because news never stops, news never sleeps, which also means that we work all holidays. This year or this past Christmas in 2020 was the first Christmas I've had off in eight years. You see Christmas on the schedule, you don't automatically assume, oh, I have it off. If you work Monday through Friday and Christmas is on a Tuesday, you're working Christmas unless you request it off. And even then, you you may not get it off. I mean, uh, MLK Day, President's Day, Columbus Day, which I didn't think was a thing. All those that you normally people get off, if it falls on your work day, you are working. Even if it's not your work day, 
you may have to fill in because someone else got it off. Our um, manager would basically say, list your priorities are for holidays, like between Thanksgiving, New Year's, and Christmas, what you would want first, like just rank them, one, two, three. And so you most likely will get your first choice off, and then you probably definitely won't get the second or third choice off. So when people tell me, they're like, oh, you don't get President's Day off? Like, it's crazy. And I was like, I don't even get Christmas off or New Year's off. Like, forget President's Day. Forget MLK Day. When people ask that, you're just like, they're still on, you still watch the news on those days, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, dude, the news don't sleep. I mean, Christmas, some stations put on the Yule log and there's no I was show. Say that. <laughs> yeah, that, there's this one station in LA and also one in Sacramento that would just pull the Yule log and they just play Christmas them. music. And they have a higher rating than us. <laughs> <laughs> and I, that pisses me off so much. I'm like, I'm here trying to put together a, a show, which is really hard because nothing's happening during holidays. Yeah. It's very hard to put together a show. What, what other misconceptions do people have? Long time ago, working in TV news was pretty um, lucrative. Like, yes. like uh, people made a lot of money because a lot of people's routine is to get home from work, sit down, and watch the news. That's no longer the case, especially with social media being people's main outlet or main source for news that people don't sit to watch our news anymore. And the, and what we struggle with is that older people watch it, like boomers watch the news still, but that's not what advertisers care about. Advertisers care about ages 25 to 54. That is the demographic that we try to aim for, yet that is the specific demographic that people just don't sit down. They like go on Twitter and they get the news immediately. There's an argument about how if it's Googleable, why should we put it in the show? And but then you could also argue anything is Googleable. You know, if you're not working in news, would you be, oh, gotta go home at six o'clock, gotta watch the news? Like, no, no one's doing that anymore. I mean, even like my parents, my my mom get her news from Instagram, get her news from Twitter or whatever. And that's what I was trying to get at on the pay-wise was that. What I was making in San Francisco technically is below the poverty line in San Francisco. Oh my God. Yeah. And, and like when I was working in Santa Barbara, I was making 30 K, but Santa Barbara is really expensive to live in. So I was just like making the same meal every single day, meal prepping the same meal for a week because that made it cheaper for me. And then in Sacramento, I was making 50 K and yet like Sacramento is, um, cheaper than Santa Barbara, but it's, not, it's still California. So it's not cheap, cheap. And so I, I just became so frugal. San Francisco, it seems like a lot when they tell you, like when they give you the offer and you're like, oh shit, like, that's a, that's really good. But then really is not because San Francisco is so expensive. Well, yeah. I mean, considering in San Francisco, people at Facebook are making boatloads of money, that are like yeah. our age or, you know, your age, my age. And you're just kind of like, wait, what am I doing? Yeah. Yeah. They like make like, <laughs> like starting pays like 120 yeah. to 50. Like maybe we don't even get close to that unless you're management. But with that being said, I mean, I remember being in college and them saying like, oh, news is going to die. Like it was like in the mid 2000s. Oh, you're having this career, but it's going to, you know, no one's going to watch the news. And here I am like over like almost 15 years later. And here we are. So I feel like no matter what, you're going to need the news. Uh, I just you know, think the platform 
the yeah. platform of the news is going to change. Like, for example, newspaper is barely the physical form anymore. It's about subscription online and people still need it. People still read the New York Times. For TV news, it's a slower death. But like at the end of the day, there was a study that said that if there was a major natural disaster, people don't rely on Facebook or like social media. They would immediately go to the three major networks, you know, or I guess four. It's like NBC, CBS, ABC, and CNN. That's where they would immediately go to for to trust about natural disasters. Because I think at the end of the day, we still have credibility. Um, yeah. We still have journalistic integrity um, that a lot of the online uh, mediums don't really follow sometimes. And that's where the whole like fake news um, trend has like popped up too. I know over the past four or five years, there's been a lot of rhetoric about fake news, fake this, fake that, the media. And it's just, you know, with everything going on, it's been a wild time to work in news. And with that being said, though, like, it's still necessary. And also, it's kind of cool, like, you know, there is a low pay, there is a working holidays, the crazy hours, moving to weird parts if you have to. But you do get a front seat into many historic moments. My job was to cut up and edit sound when Kanye West went to the Oval Office and chatted with President Trump. Like, what? What'd you do today? The other thing about TV news is that uh, a lot of people will leave it eventually because if you're not passionate about it, it's really hard to justify the pay, the holidays, especially when you start a family and you're missing dinners, missing holidays with your kids. And most people in TV news are miserable, but they refuse to leave (laughs) the industry. They refuse to leave it, even though it's so stressful and it makes their life miserable. They refuse to leave it because there's not that rush anymore. Like my boyfriend has been asking me, he's like, why don't you go to PR? And I'm just like, I would cringe every time he says that. And I was like, no, you know what we do with PR? Like, like emails, we delete them immediately. Well, and we have, you know, a lot of, it's pretty natural for those in journalism to go into PR because they're kind of, I don't want to say the same, but they all have the same characteristics. Like for news, certain events we'll find out about are from PR people that are like pitching us the event. So if you leave news, you, a natural transition is PR. You already know what newsrooms want. It's other side of the same coin. That's exactly what it is. One person I know that moved to PR, I could totally tell when he, I see him on Twitter, he is such <laughs> news FOMO. What, the thing is with news, you know, we've talked about things we didn't like, but also like if you like knowing the shit first, when you leave it, you're knowing everything the same as everybody else. I like to describe to people that our job, we're professional amateurs. Like, <laughs> like we, we know a little bit about everything. Yeah, I agree <laughs> with like that. Most, mostly like the headlines. If you, if you ask us any more, I could give you what articles I've said, but like about every topic. But it makes it really easy when you're at like a dinner party and someone brings up something and you're just like, well, no, you're our reporter said, <laughs> no, you're, you're totally right. There's been, and we'll talk about this on the next podcast, but dating, you have shit to talk about. Oh, you're a firefighter. Yeah. Oh, fires. I know about fires. Yeah, like, exactly. You know, like, oh, you work in government stimulus checks, you know, enough to keep the conversation going. And 
There is something to say when you are out and about and people, when they initially hear that, oh, you work in news, they do have this glimmer in their eye. And okay, yeah, it kind of dies down when they realize you're not on TV. But people are so fascinated by it. Like a friend of mine left news almost a decade ago. And she was just like, you know, you, it kind of becomes who you are. Then when she yes. left news, like her family and friends were like, well, then what are you going to do? Like, mm-hmm. who are you? <laughs> That's part of the reason why I don't want to leave it because it's almost like a bragging thing. I want to be able to still shock people and be like, I work in news. Hopefully one day I'll get into like a national show and that way I could say it and people be like, oh yeah, I actually watched that (laughs) and not like local news where they're like, nah. Well, that wraps up our first episode of EMW. Next week, we are going to talk about pandemic love. Yes, I got into a pandemic relationship. So more on Uh, that and more on trying to date during the Rona. All right. Bye. Bye.